Since our last episode of Devils in the Details, United have played two cup matches, a win against Reading in the FA Cup, and another win in what was essentially a dead fixture against Nottingham Forest to send United to the League Cup final. Neither match was particularly consequential for United's season, but we've bravely found a few things to talk about nonetheless. Before we get started, Case, first cup final under Ten Hag, hopefully not the last? I think it would be very disappointed, disappointing if it were the last. But yeah, hopefully we just win it. I'd like to win something. I, I'm, I've generally historically not been somebody who gets super worked up about the League Cup because, I don't know, it's like the secondary domestic cup competition, which is pretty low status in the scheme of things, but... I think it would be good to win something, um, just to set a tone. Yeah, I I think it is the secondary domestic cup competition in England, but I also think the Premier League's competitivity is becoming so saturated that any trophy you can get is a trophy, other than the Community Shield, of course. But any of the main four, sort of, the Premier League, FA Cup, EFL Cup, and the European competition is an opportunity to win something. And for United to be in the final against Newcastle, who going into the season were probably not considered one of the top teams, they might be now, is a big chance to get some silverware. Um, And I don't think it's one that United will want to miss. Uh, But let's get into some of the more analytical topics of this episode and some of the talking points from these games. Um, The biggest one being... Uh, Christian Eriksen's injury in the FA Cup game. What were your thoughts on kind of what went down and how Eriksen got injured and how big do you think Eriksen's loss is in the context of United's season going forward? Well, I would have had a very different answer to this um, 48 hours ago. Uh, Circumstances have since changed um, for reasons I think we'll get to. But yeah, I mean, losing Erickson is a, is a big deal. It, it will, had additions not been made, it would have left us with basically three senior midfielders that I think we can count on to play at a high level. And you know, that's being pretty generous to Fred, who who has been inconsistent, albeit although I, I do think he's a good player. Um, yeah, so it would have been a big loss because Erickson's you know our most talented passer from from deep areas. He he has the best sense of pace of play, which is something we spoke about a few episodes ago uh, amongst our midfielders. He sort of plays that in-between role, that deep eight, sometimes high eight, box-to-box role. That, I, you know, it, it's, a, it's a complex role. Even though he sort of struggles out of possession at times, it would have been, it would have been a big loss. Um, but I do think we've replaced it pretty well. Remains to be seen, I guess. I, I actually think there are areas of the team, we'll get to this, in which Sabitzer could be a really interesting addition, even in comparison to Ericsson. But, I mean, you're still taking a player who was who has been one of the Premier League's best technicians for the last, pretty much the better part of the last 10 years. Um, definitely in the later part of his peak, but like he still had a really good season. There's a reason why I think Ten Hag insists on playing Ericsson every match, 
even though I think Fred has been a good option when he's come in. I think there was a point in the podcast around the time, the first time we had John on when we were talking about pressing a lot. Um, and because I think a lot of our focus was on United's improvements in the press, there was a debate about a little bit of a debate about Fred and Erickson. Um, and, and since then it has only become more clear that Erickson is the first choice option when fit. Um, and yeah, I basically, I think what you're trying to replace, um, or what you're losing is at least before the signing of Sabitzer is, you know, um, really high volume second phase. So like once you're out of buildup facing forwards, ball progression from passes, um, a little bit of creativity in the final third, some output from set pieces, um, lately, I don't think he's scored that much from it, but I think Erickson's hit the box quite a bit with either trailing runs or secondary runs onto the edge of the box or or into the box into vacant space. That stuff you'd probably get a little bit from Fred, if not a lot from Fred, but you're losing a lot of skills. And like you pointed out initially, you're losing crucial depth that you have in this position and creating a massive void that you need to fill. Ten Hag strongly implied that United wouldn't get anyone to fill this position uh, at the start of deadline day, basically. But by the end of deadline day, it seems like United wrapped up the signing of Marcel Sabitzer. Why do you say it seems like? Or, sorry. United did wrap up the signing of Marcel Sabitzer. And basically sent us into a day of research on what Sabitzer is likely to bring to United. So let's start there. Do you think Sabitzer can replace Ericsson? Yeah, I think I think so, based on what I've seen of him. I actually haven't seen him play. I don't even think I've seen him play at Bayern uh, since he moved. But I did see a good amount of him at Leipzig. Um, so yeah, I think for the most part. I don't think he's the same level technician Ericsson is. I think he's a bit more frantic in terms of like the pace that he likes the game to be at. Um, which I guess is characteristic of the Bundesliga. And maybe he'll adjust a little bit. But I do think he's that kind of player who is going to play vertically um, a lot of the time, probably more. I mean, Erickson plays vertically, and I'd say he's, at times you could even say he's he's hectic for the Premier League standards, but I think uh, Savitzer, first of all, I think he's more dynamic out of possession, which sort of lends, he's going to, you know, he's going to win the ball more often, which means he's going to be in these um, situations where, He's getting the ball in unsettled possession, and that means he's going to play more vertically because it's going to, he's going to have the ball in transition situations more frequently than Erickson did. But otherwise, I think this is about as good as you could possibly hope for in terms of like a one-for-one replacement on 24-hour notice with a basically non-existent budget to get it done. You, you, I think, actually uh, did some review. You, you looked at some of Sabitzer's uh, uh, matches since he joined Bayern. Yeah, so I had actually watched a fair bit of Sabitzer at Leipzig at different times. A little bit when uh, the Bundesliga was the only league that was on. A little bit in Leipzig's Champions League runs. And a little bit when Rangnick first joined United. So I've seen Sabitzer play actually in a lot of different positions at different points in time. And yesterday I went and watched back a fair bit of Bayern and Leipzig tape to sort of tie things together. Overall, yeah, I think he's actually quite like-for-like like with Erickson, both in terms of strengths and weaknesses. So the weaknesses straight up, I don't think he's proven as a sort of first-phase, press-resistant midfielder. United weren't really getting that from Erickson either. 
I think Erickson was the most press resistant midfielder United had, but I don't really think he was press resistant at, at the top level, like a player like, you know, we talked about Frankie a lot. Chelsea just signed Enzo Fernandez, a player who's going to get you out of high level presses faced. Uh, Sabitzer's a more physical player than 30, 31 year old Erickson. He is better at shielding the ball. I want to say a better long range passer. Really? You think he's a better long range passer than Erickson? I'm not challenging you here. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me clarify what I mean uh, by long passes. So I think he's better at the sort of diagonal type passing from one side of the pitch to the other than Erickson. And this comes down to small differences in how they strike the ball. I think Savitzer is a really good is a really powerful striker of the ball, and a lot of his contact on the ball is based on having the ball go really quickly and slow down right in front of the the player he's trying to hit with his passes Um, and I think that makes him a more effective passer in really long ranges because um, I think often those passes are idealized by people when they're not actually that effective if the opposition has time to react to them in real time just watching them float over Um, and I don't think that's a problem when Sabitzer plays those types of passes so so are you saying he he probably puts less air under them hits them more sharply and they bounce later, so they get to where they're going yes. faster. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So it's a small thing, but interesting. Yeah. However, I think in terms of a more variety-based passing game, which is what I think is more impactful, I think Erickson is a better passer. Erickson is able to get more, I think, spin on the ball, a little bit better breaking lines into a receiver because the way he hits the ball allows the receiver to take it in stride. Whereas I think Sabitzer can sometimes be guilty of just hitting the ball really hard and it not really slowing down into a player's stride. Um, And that stuff is really important when you're playing passes through midfield because the receiver has to take it in stride, usually under pressure, and then move with it. And I also think that's not something Bruno is particularly strong with. So it helps to have someone like Erickson who is better at playing those types of passes. He is a really prolific distance shooter because of his uh, ball striking ability and a set piece taker. Just add that to the list of United players who are going to be taking long shots, I guess. Yeah, his defensive game is probably better. Um, I think he's really, really busy. Like he played in the Leipzig systems and he was an active member of the press. His younger days, he played as an attacking midfielder. So... He was often at the front of the press. He has played under a number of different managers who coached slightly different pressing systems, so I don't think he's going to have a problem adapting. I ultimately think you're getting a slightly less creative player with slightly less technical variety than Ericsson in exchange for someone who is a bit busier, a bit more athletic. I think the overall balance of that is someone who is not as good as Ericsson, but will allow you to play the game the way you set out to. So I think ultimately this is a good signing and a, and a good uh, piece of business from United. The only thing I'll add to that is, I think that the profile Sabitzer is, arguably is more suited to the way we want to play football. So part of me wants to be edgy and say this won't make us that much worse. But I will, I will leave us with this. A lot of very in, uh, smart Spurs fans who uh, I've spoken to, specifically when we signed Ericsson, said 
Erickson doesn't always look like he's playing well, but the moment he gets hurt or he's unavailable for whatever reason, the rest of the team suddenly looks way, way worse for reasons that are sometimes inexplicable. And so even in his bad moments when people are calling for him to be dropped, a lot of the time that's not the right choice because he's there's some intangible effects that are hard to explain not being there in the dressing room or on the training pitch that he has on the team. I don't know if that's going to be true of this United side, but I fear it will be. So I've got sort of this concern that's been planted in me by Tottenham fans, which maybe I shouldn't allow for. Maybe maybe I'd, the superstitions <laughs> of Tottenham fans are not welcome here in, on this podcast, but we'll see. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a little worried about this, even though I do think Savitzer is a good signing. Either way, I don't really think that's a problem that you're going to solve once Erickson gets injured. Absolutely not. No, no. That's not, that wasn't a Savitzer comment so much as it was an Erickson comment. When, when you say he's a little bit more suited to how United want to play, I want to add to that a little bit. So going back to the, the, the part I mentioned before where people were arguing that, you know, Fred could be an addition in this team instead of Erickson. I think Sabitzer is a little bit closer stylistically to Fred than Erickson is, if that makes sense. He's still more like Erickson than he is like Fred. But because he has that like busy out of possession aspect to his game as well, I think you're less likely to see the level of drop-off in United's intensity that you get when you take out Fred for Erickson, um, and also the level of intensity that you get when you have Erickson still on the pitch after an hour, which is something that we've talked about a lot this season is United really drop off, um, and Erickson really drops off after an hour. I think you're, I think that's where you're probably going to have the biggest marginal improvement, and everything else is just Sabitzer being a slight downgrade on Erickson. There was a time when United wouldn't have made this signing, and I'm glad that that time was not now, because this could have gotten really messy. Yeah, I'll say this much. Um, both of United's signings in this window are not flashy, but I think they're super practical and fit a need like really, really specifically uh, at low cost. And I also think these are generally... I don't know that much about Sabitzer, but I think, in general, these are high-character guys who aren't going to be disruptive. And so I think, basically, what you have here is just, like, a lot of potential for two cult heroes, almost. And worst-case scenario, they're gone in six months. So I think it was a good January, even though it was not a flashy January. Two needs filled, in my opinion. And we acted quickly and chose the right players. Uh, we have talked a lot about transfer targets in the past. Uh, we have talked... A little bit about uh, profiles United are missing. And I think the Weghorst signing, we talked a little bit more about it. One thing I think we haven't talked about as much is sort of the overall age profile of this team in in this stage of kind of like a rebuild. This came to my mind when um, someone under a burner account, I guess their at was Ambipedal, asked the question... Does the age of the squad concern you, given we're building for a title challenge in, at the earliest, 18 months' time? So probably the season after next. I'm going to let you answer this first before I give my take, because I have thought about this a lot, and my short answer is yes, but I want to hear what you have to say first. Yeah, I think there's two ways to look at this. The first being, you could think 
uh, United are trying to win a title in the next, let's say, 30 months rather than 18 months. Win a Premier League title in the next 30 months. If that is the case, um, then the squad is in okay shape, but uh, you need, like, huge additions in the summer, right? You need, like, Kane, and you need, I don't know, some really high-end goalkeeper and another right-back who can contribute at a really high level, and then probably also an elite central midfield. If that's the aim, the squad's actually in decent shape for that, but then you like there's a, a big if, right, which is getting those huge transfers in the summer, and then you have to win those titles. The other way of looking at it is that we're building for something longer term. We're looking to win a title or many, many titles on the European and domestic stage over the next five years, which I think is the reality. And if that's the case, I think there's more cause for concern because, you know, if I were to say who like the, the three best players in the side right now are, they'd be, I'd say Bruno, Casemiro, and Rashford. And I would say two of those players will no longer be in their primes in three years. Uh, which I would say is probably as soon as you're going to realistically be in like a title challenge. Even if, even if in two years, that's the earliest you're going to be in a, in a title challenge. That's so that that's saying with this core, you're at best going to get one major title, maybe two, if you did a champions league, premier league double the year after next, which to me doesn't sound very realistic. So th that puts you in a place where like, it's really not ideal, the, the age profile of the current squad, because you have Bruno, Casemiro, Varane, Shaw, even Rashford isn't that young anymore, Ericsson. Um, though, though Rashford, I'm, that's, that's a little unfair. So let's say this those five. Five really key players, and then De Gea, who you probably want to replace anyway, who are not in key, you know, the, the, that, that age bracket you want them to be in. Not to mention striker. What that means to me isn't press the panic button. It means, as as it was the, as was the case last summer, where three of the five purchases were U twenty three, U twenty four. This summer, the same needs to be true, and going forward, the same needs to be true. You can get into more specifics about like, the position distribution because I think in midfield we're lighter on young players than we are in other spots. I think there are a lot of circumstances that have kind of led to this. So maybe it would be good to go back to those and revisit them a little bit. United were in kind of a strange position this season that was forced by some untimely arrivals last season and departures that made it seem like United needed a full rebuild um, to become even a Champions League level team. When I don't think that was the case. I think United were a Champions League level team even under Solskjaer in 2020-21 season. Like, they were second in the league. They drew a relatively hard Champions League group. Funnily enough, uh, as we were discussing yesterday, Sabitzer assisted the goal that knocked United out and into the Europa League. Um, but I think, that, I think that was a Champions League level team that competed reasonably at the Champions League level. I'm going to be annoying and disagree with, or caveat what you just said really quick. I agree it was Champions League level, but I think Premier League sides that qualify for the Champions League should invariably be at least making the knockout stages with ease. Yes, so, yeah. Champions League level, yes, but not Champions League knockout level. But anyway, go ahead. I will say, though, that United would have made the knockout stages if they weren't in the group they were in. But that's a, that's a pedantic argument that I don't think is particularly relevant right now. 
And they still should have made the knockout stages is the point you're making, which is true. United signed players to peak or or whether deliberately or not, the core of the squad that Solskjaer had were in the roughly 26 to 28 range that year, right? You had Harry Maguire, Victor Lindelof, Fred, Bruno, um, Cavani was a little bit past his prime. De Gea was in his prime for a goalkeeper, I would say, roughly. The squad was kind of made to start being competitive around that year, I think. What that means is now when you rebuild, and I just listed off a bunch of players, Harry Maguire, Victor Lindelof, Fred, they're still there. Bruno um, is a key player. Rashford, Shaw are two years older than they were back then. So is Martial. You have this kind of squad that is not past its prime by any stretch, but some way into its prime. They've they've comfortably entered their prime years. And for a point of comparison, Arsenal, for example, right now are competing for the title. Uh, most of their players, I would say most of the players in their starting 11 are under 25. Point being, United are at this stage, older and worse than Arsenal. And then to compound all of those players, since then United have added Varane, Eriksen, Casemiro. So most of the team, I would say the entire starting 11 right now, except for Dalo, Lissandro, and Anthony, are older than their Arsenal equivalents. Let's put it that way. So what does that mean in a squad building context? The bad news is it means that if United aren't competitive in the next two to three years, like Kay said, the squad that ends up being competitive for United in in a theoretical sense, because we don't know when that will be, is likely not to have most of the players that are currently in the team, which means that it's going to prompt another rebuild. Case's point from signing players who are under 24 is that that rebuild is something that can occur gradually while making the current squad competitive. And I would say the good news in that sense is that I think United are better this season than I thought they would be, which means that the current squad can still be somewhat competitive within the competitive time frame of most of the players if good recruitment decisions are being made. I don't really think you need to go and sign Kane and Frankie and, you know, top players in every position. I just think you need to address issues and I, I, I let me let me get clarify better that. than you are now. When I said that, what I meant was if you want this like this current starting eleven to simply be augmented and then go win a title, that's the kind of investment that you need to do this summer. Because you basically have like two years, I think. Um, without doing some pretty big turnover in certain areas. I think it's easier to say these things, but let me just like put real numbers on them. 30 months out from now, two and a half years, I'll give you some ages of players in our squad then. De Gea will be 34, turning 35 pretty soon. He probably shouldn't be around by then anyway, but that's pretty old. Uh, Fernandez will be 
30, turning 31. So still in his prime, but needs replacing in the future, probably within two years after that. Rashford, uh, 27, turning 28, middle of his prime. Erickson, uh, he will be 33. His legs are pretty close to gone now. I can't imagine at 33 we'll be able to rely on Erickson for um, consistent minutes. And his contract will have expired by then, so I'm not even sure he'll be around. Um, Shaw, 30. Probably time to replace him soon. Uh, Varane, 32. Time to replace him. Casemiro will be 33. Yep, 33 turning 34, which... I think there's a chance that Casemiro is still at his peak then, just because of like how much, how physically dominant he is. But I think you can expect him to be less physically dominant then. It's probably going to be time to be spelling him at least. Even McTominay will be almost 29, which like, just just so I can drive this point home. Like, I don't even think McTominay should be a key player at that point, but like that's old. And like Lindelof in his 30s, Maguire in his 30s. That's tons of key Fred. players. Yeah. Fred. Like, that's almost the whole squad deep into their prime or past their prime. The only players you have who will not be deep in their primes by then. I mean, even Lissandro, I can think you can say, will be deep in his prime. He'll be 27. Only players, Dallo, Anthony, Sancho, Malasia, Ilanga, Garnacho. That's really it of the players who are playing major minutes. That's like seven players at a point when United will likely not have won any major silverware with this team. So yes, there is cause for concern. <laughs> um, not, I don't want to be super doom and gloom because there's a chance United go and you know sign four players in the summer and then they're amazing next season. I think it's unlikely that mu- that many of the current United players win the Premier League or Champions League with the club, um, for this reason. At least as at least as every week starters. Yeah, if that if you have seven players who are going to be not yet in their later prime in the in three years time, you're essentially looking for let's say of the other players you have four or five who who are still part of the squad. That's 12. You're essentially looking for 10 other players, right, to form two starting 11s, which is the typical, you know, competitive squad size. In other words, you want to, in that time frame, have acquired either by youth promotion, transfers, etc. You want to have acquired 10 new under 25 now players. To stay competitive beyond that time frame, basically. Yeah, I, I, yes. I, and I would add, it's not just 10 players to fill out the squad. They have to be good. They have, they have to be really good. It's not just players that you need to replace. You need to replace really good players with players as good or better. Um, which yeah. means... Because right now, the current team in their prime is not good enough to challenge for the title. Yeah, which means every young player you sign from here on out in that 30-month window has to be a hit. You have to be get get it right. They have to be as good as you expect them to be. Or you need to only buy young players, really, uh, expecting to miss a little bit, which isn't a great situation to be in. If not managed very well, 
United will not win the Premier League for a long time. I think that's that's where I will leave it. Squad rotation. Yeah, United played really strong lineups in these cup ties. And when United put out the lining, lineup against Reading, I kind of tweeted something to the effect of United will put out a weaker team against Forest. And they did to some extent, but they still played Barely. a pretty strong team. <laughs> yeah, Wambasaka, Casemiro, Bruno, Anthony, Weghorst have started both games. Um, and they would be... Martial might come back into the team now, but at least four of those players are going to start on the weekend again. We also saw Erickson get injured, right? From a contact injury against Reading, um, when he arguably did not need to start that game for United to win. So, with all of that said, do you think that this squad is being under-rotated, and what are the consequences of that? The squad is definitely being under-rotated from the perspective of managing load. But I feel like under-rotating also implies a value judgment. Like, he's, like, the manager is wrong to not be rotating more. Um, I, if I were in charge, would be rotating more. However, there are reasons other than load management um, to, to play or not play players. I think the reason that the squad isn't being rotated much. And I think objectively it's not being rotated much. Um, is basically match fitness, wanting to keep his best players sharp, and also knowing that we need to be drilling the system as much as possible. And because we have a midweek match, mid-week match it means we don't have midweek training. And I think the logic is basically we're going to treat this like training, which means our best players are going to train. They're going to go out there and play. Um, I think it's dangerous. I think it, this is something that he did um, in Dutch football, but the thing is the Dutch football and calendar is a lot less congested. There's a winter break. There's fewer competitions. Um, in a lot of cases, even the best sides uh, are eliminated from European competition earlier in the season. As much as this isn't in line with, as much as this is in line with, sort of his managerial history, I have to say, I, it worries me. But he does have a good track record with it, and he has reasons for doing it. I think he should have rotated more. I don't think Casemiro, Bruno, should have started against Nottingham Forest up three 0 going into the second leg, regardless of who else was available. However, I think there is a method to the madness. Um, I think you divulged some of it, which is that, you know, one, this is helping the team become more accustomed to playing at the level and to the demands that he has of his players in real match scenarios, um, which is surely different to training, right? The best team United's first team can play in training is United's second team, which is worse than much of the opposition that they're playing. And it's also not a competitive match scenario. I'm sure they do some things differently, right? Injury risk is probably lower in training than it is on the pitch, and it should be. It, it definitely um, is, right? Yeah. Um, the other point that you said was, you know, keeping the key match players fit, right? If Ten Hag were to have rested the entire starting eleven for both Reading and Nottingham Forest, 
I think you would have ended up in a scenario where they went 10 days without playing any first team football, which is arguably too long. I, I've heard many different opinions on this. It's arguably too long. If you even were to remove the first leg against Nottingham Forest, that's literally an international break for context. It's it's three days less than what an international break would be. And I've seen many people talk about how players go away for an international break and come back unfit. So it's enough time for certain players to get unfit is what I believe. The part that I think is interesting uh, with respect to squad rotation is I think there's more than that to it, which is I believe that Ten Hag has... Starting 11 players, squad players that he trusts to replace the starting 11 players, and squad players that he does not trust. And I think regardless of the level of the fixture, he is way more hesitant to rotate for squad players he does not trust. And I don't think United have many squad players who he deems fit to just replace whoever's in the starting 11. Starting 11 is, as we know now, De Gea, Dalo, Varane, Lissandro, Shaw, Casemiro, Erickson, Bruno, Anthony, Rashford, and let's say Martial for for being for, for history's sake, for sample size. If that is the starting 11, the backups that I think he clearly trusts are Malasia and Veghorst. That's pretty much it. I think Fred is trusted, but doesn't align with Casemiro's role, Ericsson's role, or Bruno's role. So in other words, I think in isolation he's okay with playing Fred, but if you take Ericsson out for Fred, you're losing the build-up aspect. If you take Casemiro out for Fred, you're losing the holding midfield aspect. And if you take Bruno out for Fred, you're losing pretty much the entire creativity of the team. Two things. I think he trusts Garnacho. So I think there's an acknowledged drop-off between Rashford and Garnacho, such that Garnacho only comes in when United are really expected to score against the opposition. Overwhelmingly. As for other players, I think there are some players who have played relatively regularly, but he hasn't quite figured out how they fit in yet. That includes Sancho, like you said, who I think has the potential to be a part of this squad on a longer-term basis. Elanga is less relevant because there are two strikers ahead of him, and there are two left-wingers ahead of him, like we said. And then Maguire and Lindelof, who I think it's likely one of them will stay and become a member of the squad. I think it's unclear which yet. And that comes from the fact that Ten Hag wants two left-footed centre-backs, and two right-footed centre-backs. Um, push for an answer, I would say he prefers Maguire, but it's also probably easier to sell Maguire. So that leaves you with the viz that I posted on the weekend, which is the squad players, the players who are not in the starting 11, who have played regularly, are Malasia, who actually has more minutes than Shaw, based on minutes that he played at the start of the season. Garnacho has come in recently and played a fair amount of minutes. Uh, Weghorst has played pretty much every game since joining because of Martial's lack of fitness. And then players who have come in for players who aren't fit, which is McTominay before Casemiro joined, Sancho, which was before Anthony joined, and Wambasaka after Dalo got injured. 
I think what that means is that when he has a squad that he is more comfortable with rotating, he will rotate more. I still think he's a conservative manager when it comes to squad rotations in general. But I think right now what you're seeing is a case of he really does not feel that he can switch the squad and get what he's looking for out of the backup option or the alternative option. I personally don't agree with that. Like I said at the start, I think I would have played Mainu. I think I would have played Palistri. And I think I would have played Sancho from the off in that match. I get why he didn't do that with Sancho. I think maybe I would have played Alonga at, at center forward. Sure. Sure. Yeah. But I, I, I think it's pretty clear to me where this is coming from as a whole. So is it an injury risk? Yes. Is it suboptimal? In my opinion, yes. I don't think it's going to be this bad for the duration of Ten Hag's tenure. Yeah. Uh, only thing I would add is I think this will be something that he's criticized for indefinitely. I don't think it will be this bad, but I do think it will be worse than... Like, when I say worse, I think I think he will rotate less than people expect him to, to forever. And players will get injured, whether that'll be his fault or not, I'm not sure. And people will blame him for it. And it, this will be something that I think people perceive as a weakness of his, uh, whether it is or not. Perfect. Um, last two topics of the day, I guess. Uh, firstly, Anthony, why do you think he's been... I think he's been better in the last few games. Um, why do you think... That has happened. I'm, I, I think you agree. So why do you think he's been better in the last few games? I, I would say the big difference has been more creative end product. Yeah, part of it is is quality of opposition, which I think you said before we, we went on air today. But um, otherwise, uh, he's gotten he's gotten to, into central areas with greater frequency, which has let him sort of face up and drive forward with the ball and then play combinations, which has led to... I think some of his best moments. He played in Casemiro for the opener against um, Reading. Do I have that right? Reading at the weekend. Yeah. Um, brilliant goal. Brilliant pass. We've been seeing that pass more often from him. We saw it again today a few times. Um, really good to see because that's going to be a big part of his creative game. Um, and then we also saw him get on the end of a really big chance against Nottingham Forest last week midweek um, in the first leg of today's League Cup fixture. Um, where he picks up the ball in a central area, starts driving forward, uh, plays the ball, I forget off who, I think off, I'm not sure. I'm going to say Bruno. Off of Bruno, Bruno plays him in, um, and he's got a one-on-one with the keeper. He doesn't finish it, but it's a tough finish. Um, yeah, I mean, I think for the most part, it's probably quality of opposition, but also... I think this is going to happen anyway. Um, he was, I think we talked about this. He had like 0.06 expected assists per 90 in the league. Um, he's a much more creative player than that. Like that's an insanely low number. You've got like defensive fullbacks who beat that. I think it was just a matter of time. Uh, maybe this has to do with something to do with the, the, the comments that have been made about him, about how he needs to be more direct. I'm not sure. I, I can't get it in his head and answer that. What about you? What do you think? Pretty much agree. I think last week, last week we discussed the direct thing. Um, 
Yeah, I think easier opposition comes into play. I think he's dribbling more and more effectively in these last three games, which is big. Casemiro. He scored a brace at the weekend. And you described the first goal as (laughs) uh, an R9 striker movement. So talk to me about that. Yeah, I I was kind of joking about that. But like, yeah, it's a great run from Casemiro. And then the finish is just a striker's finish. Like, I love that finish. Under pressure, man on, keeper coming at him, and he lobs him. Like, ah, chef's kiss. (laughs) I love it. I love it. It's a goal I try to score in FIFA all the time. (laughs) Um, But I I loved it even more the pass. Um, Not because it was necessarily better than the run and the finish, but because it's something we've been looking for from Anthony for a while, and he was really nice. Um, Really, I think Anthony's probably best performance as a United player was that Reading match uh, this weekend. Yeah, I was talking about Uh, this before uh, Erickson got injured, and then... I mean, Sabitzer coming in doesn't exactly make it that much worse, but United's midfield has been involved in an outrageous amount of goals this season. I think it's like... I think we talked about this before the season. Like, where are the goals going to come from? I don't see this front three. At the time, it was Rashford, Martial, Sancho producing more than, like, 35 goals, something like that. The goals have come from midfield. (laughs) Yeah, so it's now 18 goals, and... 22 assists from United's midfield this season. And that includes Casemiro, Erickson, McTominay, Fred, and Bruno. Which is an absurd count. I think it might actually be close to the forwards if you remove Rashford, if not more than the forwards. Which is nice. And I actually don't think it's unsustainable. So I I actually thought that this would be a lot of like wild shots going in. But it's not. Um, Erickson is above his XA, but Bruno is way below. And in general, they are actually all getting into decent goal-scoring positions, at least in the Premier League. Yeah, I'll, I'll just tell you, we the midfielders have accounted for 23 goal contributions in the league. The forwards, including Rashford, have accounted for... 27. Including Rashford, 27. Including Rashford, 27. When you take out Rashford, this midfield wins by far. That's really I don't think that'll last. But more because I think you're going to get more production from your forwards than I think the midfielders will fall. Yeah, so I'm actually convinced that this is relatively sustainable and and that the midfield can continue to do this. With the main exception being, hopefully United are not in the Europa League group stages next season. True, true. Um, so let's finish off with Sancho, maybe. We haven't talked about Sancho. What, what, what did you think about that today? Sancho played. I like his decision-making. It makes me happy. We've he doesn't just this, yeah. give away the ball for no reason. He looked He looked bright. He, he was running into space. Um, frustratingly, a couple of times the ball could have gotten to him in a good goal-scoring position, or he could have released and had an assist. Didn't work out. But uh, I don't know. Interesting to see him at 10. What did you think about that? Yeah, I was going to say, I think anything more than he looked a bit bright and I like his decision-making is probably over... uh, over, Yeah, overselling it. But I think the fact that he played at 10 is pretty key. Sancho is a high-usage player. I think he is reliant on getting the ball in situations where he is relatively close to goal in relatively the center of the pitch. 
I think if you put him really far away from goal, you lose a lot of what he can do as a player. Um, I, and also, if you put him in open space, you lose a lot of what he can do as a player. I think he's better at being in tight spaces and solving complex situations, sort of. Uh, I, I think I think in open space, he's actually suited to that. Where I don't think he's suited is isolating him 1v1. And yeah, like, in open space where somebody. he's reliant on dribbling is what I should say. Um, yeah. Because yeah. he is, he in open space, he's a good decision maker and a good passer and a good carrier. I really think Sancho can be an impactful player on this team if you get him close to goal in tight spaces, give him the ball a lot, don't make him dribble against other players 1v1. Honestly, I think it's likely that he, in this role as a 10, becomes a more effective dribbler because of the situations he's going to wind up in. Yeah. Um, you're going to wind up with the incentive being on the the defenders to close him down, which is actually where he where he made his money in the Bundesliga as a, as a dribbler. He baited a commitment from defenders and then just took soft touches around them, which I think is easier to do in central areas in the Premier League. Uh, and I think we actually kind of saw it today. Maybe I'm, maybe that's wishful thinking on my part because I really want him to work out. But I think this is a good idea. I, I think it's really interesting that to see Bruno get pushed wide to make it happen, though. For what it's worth, I don't like... On the pod, we don't pat our backs very often, but this is something we actually talked about, like, five months ago the idea of sancho maybe being a 10 in the premier league um, and bruno playing out wide possibly um yeah i think we did talk the about thing that about, no, i think i shot that down so i can't take credit for that i think that was you yeah the thing about bruno out wide is basically you lose one of your wide players and i think they're both very important to how united play and i think because of that people have misconstrued that as bruno being bad out wide which i don't think is true i think he's been relatively the same game that he plays out wide and centrally it's a lot Insane, of same uh second assist today by the way outside of the boot oh yeah yeah he decided Freakish that ass. the outside of his boot was like he was you know what he was sad that his uh fellow countryman joao Cancelo left the premier league oh, God. and he decided that he was gonna try the travella pass like multiple times and pull it off yeah so he was just paying he was just he was just paying tribute to the most ridiculous transfer of the January window. Um but yeah, I I I don't think it's ridiculous to play Bruno out wide. I think if you are, he's more suited to the left than the right and I think that puts you in a difficult spot because your best your your highest output player right now is glued to that spot in my mind at least. Um and for that reason I think it's not a smooth road for Sancho back into the team because he's basically in a situation where he has to replace one of three undroppable players. Um, that being said, going back to the conversation we just had, United's forward line is not creating a ton of goals. I think part of the reason is because these players... Less so Rashford and Bruno, more so Anthony and whoever's up front are not maximizing their output. I think it's a lot because of the level of fluidity that United have in the final third. I don't think they're getting a lot of residual impact off each other, if that makes any sense. Like I don't Please think explain that. I don't think they're playing with the level of cohesion in the final third that they can play with. Um, I agree, though. I think it's getting better. It is getting better, but I think at some point you begin to look at the pieces behind 
the striker in situations like that. And I think Sancho is the type of player who can make the players around him better because of how he can draw pressure, get the ball out of it, make good decisions, um, and yeah. essentially pass and carry in really high volume. So, yeah, I I think I honestly have a lot more hope for Sancho in this team than I did for Sancho in the team that was playing in August. Yeah, I agree. Um, a little bit of a slower one this week, I feel like, because of the cup ties, but United are in a cup final, which is really cool. United are also progressing in the FA Cup, which most of the big teams have actually been eliminated from, um, which is interesting. Arsenal went out. I think Chelsea went out. Uh, Liverpool went out. Yeah, so it's just City, Tottenham, and us of the big six. Back to the league now, and you've got Crystal Palace and then Leeds twice over. We'll see you next week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.